Bibles, if you would, today to Jonah as the young people are dismissed. Kids can go with Brother Nick and Miss Gabby are going to take care of them today and teach them on their level there. Uh, Brother Nick will be preaching tonight as well, so hopefully you make it back for that. Jonah, chapter 1. If you don't know for sure where that is, uh, it's just before Jonah, chapter 2. Okay, that'll help you find that in your Bible. Jonah, chapter 1. Mrs. Smith, first grade teacher, was uh, watching over recess and found one of her students making faces at others in the playground. And so she stopped and wanted to just gently reprove the child, and she, uh, smiling at, at him, said, Johnny, when I was a child, I was told that if I made an ugly face at someone, that it would freeze and stay like that. Johnny took one look at her and said, well, Mrs. Smith, you can't say you weren't warned. Amen. What we say affects others. What we do, it affects other people. The Christian life, or the lack thereof, that you live or that you don't live, it will affect others around you. It's going to make an impact. Uh, some it will affect positive and others negative, depending on how you live and what your testimony is. I want to read a few verses today, <coughs> and then make some comments on this story of Jonah. Now, the word of the Lord, verse 1, chapter 1, came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee from tar unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Do you realize what a ridiculous statement that is? Flee from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it not, uh, to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares <coughs> that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. <coughs> but Jonah was gone down in the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes we have here as we study what effect and impact we have on the people around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you for a few moments on lessons from some sailors. Lessons from the sailors. The story of Jonah is a familiar one. It, it's a story of sin and grace. Sin essentially is running from God, and grace is God uh, pursuing that sinner and uh, making, basically trying to end his self-destructive behavior. That's pretty much it. Running and chasing sin and grace. 
We've probably all been a part of running, and we've probably all been a part of God's grace following us and uh, pursuing after us. Now, what was Jonah's assignment here? Uh, he got his orders from the Lord. He opens them up, and he's, it, it says basically your mission, should you choose to accept it, is arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. God is telling a preacher to go to the nastiest, the vilest, the meanest, the wickedest, the most powerful city in the world. And I want you to go to that city. I want you to carry your soapbox, put it in the middle of the town square, jump up on it, and tell them all how wicked they are. That's a pretty stiff assignment, isn't it? These were wicked people. And the very best scenario of what could happen there is that they would uh, laugh at him, throw tomatoes, dead cats, things like that, and try to uh, discourage him. That's the best scenario. Probably more likely, though, is that his life would be dispatched quickly as his head would be removed from his body. That's what he felt would probably immediately happen, especially knowing the type of people they were. I love to read history, and one of the things I like to study and read about is the Civil War. And in the Battle of Gettysburg, there was a point in the battle that General Meade had looked at his line of young soldiers and he decided that he needed a regiment to go forward and attack the enemy, uh, go right into the enemy, but basically distracting them, drawing their fire so that he could send two regiments on the sides and basically put on the squeeze uh, to his enemy in front of him. Now, the question is, how does a general like he, him in that situation give orders to that regiment. I, I don't know if you've read much about uh, how that time, in that, especially in that time frame, how the military worked, but did he make an appointment with each officer and explain the plan to them? Did he then make an appointment with every single enlisted man and, and explain the process to him? Now listen, I know it looks really difficult. I know it looks dangerous. It might even look suicidal to you, but I want you to know that I have a plan and, and I'm, I'm going to work it out this way and this is how we're going to do it and, uh, so that you can have just a little bit of confidence in what I'm asking you to do. Now give me a hug. No, that's not how that would have went down. Uh, General Meade said one word, charge, and they would charge into battle. He didn't explain. He, didn't, uh, he, he wouldn't have had a chance to explain, nor would he have had a, uh, an inclination to explain each one to each soldier. They hear the word charge, and forward they go. You see, the soldier believes that they, or, or they can trust in the record and the character of the general that is sending them. So they've been in battle with him before. They trust that he knows best. They take refuge in that. And when he says charge, that's exactly what they do. Now, God can do the same thing for us. Sometimes we open our orders. You ever been here? And you don't make any sense. Or they look dangerous. Or they look uncomfortable. By the way, can I tell you that nothing good ever comes from a comfort zone? It's when God takes us out of our comfort zone that makes an impact. But we get those orders and we think, wait a second, uh, I don't understand this. Now, he can send us some of those strange directions and he gives us no word of explanation or comfort. Now, can I give you an example? Genesis chapter 22. Abraham opens up his orders from the Lord and this is what they were. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering. Boy, that doesn't make sense, does it? 
Take your son, your only son, the one you waited years for, the one that I promised you, the one that I promised would give you a great name and more uh, offspring and descendants than the sands on the seashore. Take him and kill him. What did Abraham do? Well, by the way, what was that from God to Abraham? Basically, charge. It was no uh, words of comfort, no explanation. Just charge, Abraham. Abraham went. He did what God said. Of course, God interrupted him. You know the story at the very end. But Abraham intended to obey him. He took refuge in the character of God. This is what he said in Genesis 18.25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what he, he had that confidence in the Lord. I know who my God is. I know his record. I know his character. And though I don't understand exactly why he's telling me what to do when he's telling me right now, I'm going to obey. So when God came to Abraham and said, Charge! Abraham went and he obeyed. When God came to Jonah, Jonah took refuge in his own wisdom and said, Nope, not going to do it. Not interested. When God sends you orders, friend, those are the two options you have. You can go forward, obey them, or you can be like Jonah and take refuge in your own wisdom and say, Nope, I'm not going to go that direction. That doesn't make sense to me. You can go Jonah's way or you can go Abraham's way. You can either trust God or you can say, and, and in trusting God, basically say, I don't get it, but I'm going to obey. I don't understand how you're going to do this, Lord, but I will do what you say. Or you can say, like Jonah, I want a boat going the other direction. And that's how many people respond to God's instructions. Why won't we trust the captain who can do no wrong? Now, that's Jonah's calling. What does Jonah do about it? Well, we read his response here. We look at Jonah's response. We, can, we see both the motivational and the behavioral level of Jonah's response. We, in chapter 1, we see only the behavioral level of his response. In other words, we see what Jonah does about it. But in chapter 4, we see <coughs> by Jonah's own testimony what was going on inside at this time. This is, this is fascinating to me. Jonah says to God in Jonah 4.2, Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? So he's going back to chapter 1. He's referring to the time before he went to the ship to Tarshish. This is what I was thinking, God. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, or this is why, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. How dare you? Here's an amazing truth. Jonah ran not because he was afraid of failure. No, he ran because he was afraid of success. I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you'd, you'd uh, repent from wanting to destroy them. He was afraid they might repent. This is part of it. He was he one of those dirty Ninevites absolutely destroyed. At the root of Jonah's disobedience was self-righteousness. Every human being, by nature, tries to create a righteousness of their own. To some level, we all do this by nature. To do that, it means we have to feel superior to all other people. The more people we feel better than, the better we feel about ourselves. You follow me? So, by nature, we look around at others and we try to make ourselves better than them. This is what self-righteousness is. And every one of us at our core, to some level and to some extent, deal with this self-righteousness. 
And this, there was also, I believe, a racial component here. Jonah was proud of who he was. He was an Israelite. He wasn't going to stoop to the level of the Ninevites. And because of Jonah's self-righteousness, he ran the other way. I believe we see that was his motivation. He immediately went to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh is basically over in Iraq, Iran area. Uh, Tarshish is in Spain. And so Jonah said, if Nineveh is that way, then I want to go that way, the opposite direction from where God wanted him to go. He went down to look for a ship, and wouldn't you know it, there was one to take him. Can I tell you, friend, if you decide to run away from God, devil's always going to make sure there's going to be a ship there to take you. There's always going to be an opportunity for you to go the opposite direction. Satan will make sure of that. Instead of Jonah going from Israel to Assyria, which was due east, he took, got a ticket to Tarshish, which was due west. And we saw here his ridiculous assumption that he was going to flee from the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you a secret? You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. You can't run away from God. Anybody ever tried it? No, nobody needs to stand up and admit it, but have we ever tried that? Yeah, we've probably all thought we're going to get away with that. You can't run from God. The Bible says uh, that uh, makes, makes it very clear, Psalm 139, 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? I can't remember where it's found, but the Bible says, He that made the eye, shall he not see? He that made the ear, shall he not hear? Of course he will. Uh, he's, he is the one who created all that. There's no place... No place that you can go ever in your life that God will think, scratch his head, now where did I see them last? Where did I put them? Uh, he won't lose you. He's always there. And Jonah foolishly thought he would run from the presence of God. God sends a storm to hunt him down, endangers the lives of everyone on the ship. Jonah, recognizing that uh, when he wakes up and realizes what's going on, asks to be thrown into the ocean to save the lives of the other sailors. When Jonah actually is thrown in the sea, you know the story, instead of drowning, God provides a fish to come and swallow him up. The fish swallows him up, protects him from the drowning. Now, you might ask, if you're here today, preacher, do you really believe that story? 100%. That's what the Bible says. And I believe it. Like the young lady on the plane was uh, traveling. She had her Bible open, was reading it, and she, a scoffer had sat down next to her. And, and uh, so he says, you don't really believe what's written in that book, do you? And she says, oh, yes, I, I believe it. And he picked on this story. He says, do you really believe that a fish swallowed a man? Well, that's what the Bible says. Yes, I believe it. He said, do you really think he was in there for three days and lived to tell about it? And she said, yes, I believe that. In fact, she says, when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. And if it wasn't, if it was three whole days. Well, what if he doesn't go to heaven, the scoffer asked. She said, well, then you can ask him. But the Bible says he was swallowed and he was there for three days. All right, I choose to believe what the Bible says. Amen. It was in about 45 feet of water, Friday, June 11th of this year, June, 20, uh, June 11th, 2021. Uh, when lobster diver Michael Packard, you might have read the story, uh, <clears throat> hey, hey, this happened, uh, this is what he said, I just felt this truck hit me and everything just went dark. It took him a few minutes or a few seconds to realize that he was inside the mouth of a whale. And uh, you can go online and read the story, it's all over the place. Uh, lobster diver Michael Packard, there's been two other that I could find instances where fish swallowed, fish or whale swallowed uh, humans, one of them at least, 
live to tell about it. It was only a short time, but uh, I just believe, I just choose to believe the Bible as it is. Amen? God can do anything, and uh, I believe this is, this is what exactly happened. However, that is not my focus on the purpose of this message here today. Not so much on the miracle, not even so much of what took place after Jonah was spit up uh, from, uh, by that whale and then went and uh, preached to the Ninevites. I want to look especially at Jonah's relationship and impact on the sailors and their impact on Jonah. We sometimes just kind of skip across this scene, and I want to focus on this today. <coughs> it was in Cholin's church, and the preacher was discussing the story of Jonah. And he quoted, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And so he asked the question, So boys and girls, what does the fish vomiting out Jonah on the dry land teach us today? And they thought for a little bit, and finally one of the boys spoke up, and said, Pastor, it proves that even a fish can't stomach a bad preacher. And Jonah was a bad preacher, at least in this point right here. But do you see the paradox here? The whole idea of Jonah running away from God <clears throat> to get away from those icky heathens, those disgusting pagans. And what does he do? He finds himself right in the mac smack in the middle of them, surrounded by him on this ship. He's proud of his own pedigree. He's proud of who it is. And yet there's an irony here that he, uh, the, the whole idea was to get away from pagans and he ends up dying for a shipload of them or being willing to do so. Jonah forgot a valuable lesson of who God is. He neither believed, he kind of half and half, I think. He didn't think God could change the Ninevites or he was afraid he would. Either way, he wasn't happy with it. Nor did he, he certainly did not love Nineveh enough to want God to change it. Not only is Jonah proud and fearful, Jonah is filled with apathy. Uh, it, he, he also, I believe, is filled with cynicism. He doesn't believe things can be changed. And I ask you today, what about us in the good old United States of America today? How do you look at the world around you? How do you look at the society that we're surrounded by? It's easy, is it not, to get cynical when we look around at our world today. When we are surrounded by people who cannot figure out what bathroom to go to, it makes you a little cynical, doesn't it? When you've got this type of debauchery that we're dealing with on a daily basis, it's easy to look at that, and you know what? There's no hope for the mess that we're in today and it's easy for us to kind of insulate ourselves within this beautiful church building, come together where we all agree, and just uh, fellowship and enjoy this time, and then just kind of just put ourselves in a holy huddle apart from the world. It's easy to do that, really, uh, thinking that society has no hope. Like Jonah, we not only get cynical about our society, we can get to the place where we don't care about those around us. Like him, we just kind of decide to let it go how it's going to go. Now, uh, let me make this more personal. What about the people in your boat today? Those that you work with, your family members, the, your neighbors that you're surrounded by, the people in your area. Do you believe you can make an impact on them? Do you think that with the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the, uh, the uh, seeming unreachable can actually be reached. We have got to reevaluate how we look at those around us. Here, in the case of these sailors, God has to take Jonah by the ear, basically force his face up to these sailors, point at them, you are here for them. I don't care if you don't like them. I don't care if you think they're beyond hope. I don't care if you feel that they're different than you are. Snap out of your self-centered apathy and realize you're here for them. You had to remind him of that. Now I want to take a moment and see just what the sailors taught Jonah and what I believe they can teach us about our world as well. Number one, every human being has a deep spiritual longing. Every human being is deeply religious. Every human being is, has a desire for some greater purpose than their day-to-day -day mundane existence. Now, often this is driven by fear. You can see this in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried, Every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea to lighten it of them. We see also what Paul talks about in Romans 1, I think is, is uh, it, we see in Jonah 1 what Paul talks about in Romans 1, that every human being is inherently religious. The deepest need that humans have is to worship. We all must have some kind of goal, some kind of purpose that gives our life meaning. We are not like the animals. They like to act like we are, but we are not like animals. We cannot get up every single day and just simply do what is there. We have to have something bigger. We're naturally... God's like how God made us, by the way. We must worship. We all have to worship something. Regardless of what you think or how it seems, because I know I talk to people too, and I, I constantly have to remind myself, there's a longing there. I might not see it. It might not be evident. They might not even realize it on the surface, but there is a longing in there for something, and we have to realize that's how God made us. Have you ever made, heard, heard the statement, my life is ruined because so-and-so doesn't love me? In its essence, that's a religious statement. I don't have any meaning. I don't have any purpose without this or that or this person. That, in its essence, is a religious statement. Why is it that some people, just to use one example, are consummate workaholics? They'll even lose their relationship lose their children, or lose their home because they feel uh, absolutely meaningless and worthless if they're not working themselves into the ground. We could give a lot more examples, but that's ultimately a religion. Everyone must worship something and will worship something even when it's bad. Listen to this statement by C.S. Lewis. Where men are forbidden to honor a king, they honor millionaires, athletes, or film stars instead, even famous gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison. We're going to worship something. We're going to bow down to something in our life. Now here, notice in our text, it says, Every man unto his God. Now it is unlikely that most of these sailors were overly religious people. I don't think every day on the ship they would have had their, whatever, their Bible studies they would have had. They... They weren't overly religious, but when a storm comes, then they got religious all of a sudden. That's the case with many people in the world today. That's why I mentioned a while ago, a lot of, a lot of it is driven by fear. 
uh, Paul references this again in Romans 1. Our need for worship and belief in the divine might be buried deep within us, but extreme situations will bring them out. Does anybody remember the days following 9-11? We were in a very religious nation for a few days, weren't we? Because extreme situations brought that out. When the extreme happens, we see at that point we need God. And we cry out to whatever God that we have. That's the first thing we need to recognize. Every human being has a deep spiritual longing. And another truth we have to understand is that all religions or other faiths other than Jesus Christ are essentially religions of fear. They have to be. That's what drives people to do and live a certain way. And so these sailors cry out to their gods. Then, here's what's sad. They discover Jonah, and he's sleeping. Understand, there's, a, there's, a, there's something terrifying going on here. These men are terrified for their lives. They're unloading the things they had bought for their wives, and they're throwing that over, overboard. All the things that they didn't feel they had to have to survive, they're throwing it over to lighten the ship. They're terrified. Jonah's asleep. They say these words, What meanest thou, O sleeper? And may I say today, what a text for a sleeping church. Today's world is being torn apart by alcoholism, immorality, and corruption, and the church sleeps. Abortion, pornography, homosexuality, gender nonsense threaten mankind, and the church sleeps. False religions and secular philosophies are making giant strides and the church sleeps. Friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers grope about in spiritual darkness and the church sleeps. Two-thirds of the world's people will never hear the gospel and the church sleeps. What a tragedy. A soldier caught sleeping on duty faces court-martial and possible death because he places others in peril. Let us not be guilty of being asleep when there is such a need around us. Jonah was asleep in the ship, and the captain wasn't happy about it. No doubt, as he's sleeping there, a brawny fist reached down and jerked him out of his bunk, uh, set him upright, and uh, now Jonah would feel the roll and plunge of the ship. He would hear the uh, wild storm and see the towering waves and the realization of his disobedience and how he's jeopardizing the lives of innocent men. Here's an interesting fact. Only one man on board knew the true and living God, and he's not on speaking terms with him. Isn't that a sad thing? Well, they started peppering Jonah with questions, and it's an odd, <laughs> it's an odd interview. Uh, what's your occupation? I'm a preacher, prophet of God. Where do you come from? From the presence of the Lord. I'm running away from God. It's, the, the Bible says in verse 10, they knew that because he told them. What is your country? I'm from the promised land. Who are your people? The people of God. But I'm running from him. Secondly, not only does Jonah not realize uh, the needs of the people around him, the sailors rebuke Jonah for not living his faith. This is fascinating to me. One of the most intriguing verses is when a heathen captain comes down and yells at the prophet. What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if it so be that God will think upon us, we perish not. What he's saying here is, listen, I know 
that you think you are. I understand that you're religious. What are you doing down here asleep, absorbed in your own problems while we have a serious situation here? If you have a God, how about getting out your faith where it can do some good? Don't you see we're dying here? That was essentially his message to Jonah. Now, Jonah is guilty of two violations, being a believer who doesn't see the people or the problems of the people around him. He was apathetic toward it, too absorbed in his own worries. He's probably asleep because he's full of his own self-doubts. He's, he's absorbed with his own problems. He's trying to get away from something God wants him to do that he doesn't want to do. He's got his own guilt he's dealing with. And can I tell you, friend, when you are wrapped up in your own problems, you are asleep to the problems of others. And Satan loves to get us wrapped up in our own problems. He's being rebuked because he's so distant from the problems of the people around him. He doesn't even realize, he doesn't even, not that he doesn't care, he doesn't even know the predicament they're in until somebody wakes him up and tells him about it. Now I know I don't really have to expound much more than that for us to see the application. The world is screaming for answers. Christianity is stuttering. One reason for this is that the church is becoming increasingly more and more worldly. Listen to what pollster George Gallup, you've heard of the Gallup poll? This is George Gallup said this, I quote, We find there is very little difference in ethical behavior between churchgoers and those who are not religious. The levels of lying, cheating, stealing are similar in both groups. Eight out of ten Americans consider themselves Christians, yet only half of them can identify who gave the Sermon on the Mount. And fewer still can recall just five of the Ten Commandments. End quote. That's a scary thing to think about. But as is it any wonder that our nation continues to wax worse and worse while God's people are apathetic? How faithful are you to the Lord? How faithful are you to God's house, God's program, God's mission for you? Uh, in the, it is the height of hypocrisy for us to expect society to remain neutral while God's people are lethargic. I encourage you to have a testimony of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, that will absolutely affect those around you. You'll see, you see it in this story here. Uh, it's amazing what uh, happens when Jonah actually does get up, when he does repent, when he does the right thing, when he does uh, offer to die for them, we see an incredible impact of his behavior. They turn to the true God when he does that. When Jonah gets out of his sleep, when he gets uh, snapped out of his apathy, when he realizes <coughs> his responsibility and he offers to sacrifice himself for them, all of a sudden, when he does the right thing, he makes an impact that turns that entire boat to the Lord. That's an amazing thing. Now let's apply this. Because the two things that Jonah is guilty of are the two things, are two things I believe the church is guilty of. Not even knowing the world's problems and not doing anything about them. Jonah is rightly rebuked by the captain. May I say that the world has a right to rebuke any church that cocoons itself from a lost and dying world? Uh, how tragic, then, 
when there is things going on inside the walls of the church that prevents uh, the effect outside the walls. When there's infighting and arguing and, and problems, uh, often it's ridiculous things like personal preferences or personality conflicts or even things like the color of the carpet and things like that. People get all upset about. We get busy fighting over silly things and we lose track of what God has us here for. Can I, I don't know who made this statement, but it's one of the most profound statements. I have it written down uh, to where I read it often. Let me read it for you. I quote, If you don't become a reconciler of the lost, you'll become an evaluator of the saved. If you do not pursue sinners, you will police saints. Those who don't fish find that they fight. When the energy that is meant to be used outside the church is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of reachers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Instead of helping hands, we have accusing fingers. Instead of helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. End quote. Now, a church like that is rebukable and ought to be rebuked by the world and often is. Now, it's not just true corporately. Let's be honest about ourselves. Many of us, like Jonah are so wrapped up in our own problems, in our own hurts, in our own pains. And friend, I'm not trying to say they're not real. Yes, they are real. We do have issues. We all have burdens that we have to carry. But Satan would love for you to put so much focus on yourself that there is nothing left to focus on the world around you. We're about to begin VBS. You know what happens in VBS? It's often hot and sticky and sweaty. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of kids. And uh, tempers can run high. <laughs> somebody can say something sharp to somebody else. And here we have an option. We can get offended, especially if we're focusing on here, we'll get offended. I'm here, I'm volunteering. I don't even have to be here. And we focus on ourselves. And we can get offended or we can say, uh, we, we can put ourselves aside and realize we've got kids here that need to be saved. We've got families that are represented by these kids that need the Lord. All right, I, don't, I can put myself aside for that, and so can you. We've got to get our focus right, amen? Jonah focused on himself, did nothing for those around him. As soon as he focused on them and took himself out of the picture, he made a tremendous impact for the Lord. If you'll focus on God, or, or you will focus on God, I should say, and others, or you'll focus on yourself. Don't go to sleep below deck. When we are absorbed in our own problems, we forget that families are breaking apart. We forget that our society is being overwhelmed by wickedness. We forget that people all around us are facing eternity in hell. Meanwhile, we're asleep below deck, because of our self-image problems? Too long I've laid me down to sleep and prayed the Lord my soul to keep. I should awake before I die and realize time is passing by. And arise and go and tell the lost despite my plans, despite the cost. Too long I've laid me down to sleep while multitudes about me weep and other cries of dark despair for no one ever seems to care. My life is short and soon I'll stand with sinner's blood upon my hands unless I wake before I die and realize time is passing by. Hey, we don't have time 
or uh, we, we, it's too important our mission to focus on ourselves. It's, it, we, we don't have time to be petty, amen? We need to focus on what God wants us to do. Now, of course, there's a balance here. We have hurts. We have trials. We have difficulties. Uh, we're people. We have people problems, amen? Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. One of the best things you can do for your discouragement or your burden is to encourage someone else or to help someone else with their burden. I have found this to be so true so many times in my life. I've got a, a, something heavy on my heart or something heavy that I'm carrying, and maybe nobody even knows about it. And if I go and help somebody else with their burden, it's just like a magical thing. Something happens to mine, it gets a little lighter as we help somebody else. Several times I've heard, maybe you have too, somebody say, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. It doesn't say that, but a lot of people think it's in there. But can I tell you what the Bible teaches? It might not say so in so many words. God helps those who help others. He does, as so many times. Ultimately, Jonah believes he's better than the pagans. As a result, he doesn't care for them. He's forgotten that he's a sinner saved by grace. In Jonah chapter 2, he begins to realize he's a sinner saved by grace. When he realized that, it revolutionized his attitude toward people. And friend, it'll do the same thing for you. Now, what lesson can we learn from the sailors? The captain essentially says to Jonah, how dare you keep your faith in private? Get it out here where it can do some good. That's a good message for every single one of us. So Jonah comes full circle. He finally sees that he's able to have an impact on the people around him. Not only does he impact the boat that he's in, uh, when he finally does go to Nineveh, an entire nation turns to the Lord. An amazing thing that happens with a really reluctant prophet. Really bad preacher. This is the only time I've ever seen a preacher or heard a preacher say, you know, I would go and preach there, but I don't want to because I'm afraid the altar call will be too big. That's essentially what he told God in Jonah chapter 4. He didn't want people to get right. But if we want to have an impact on the world, we have to become self-forgetful. That's what happened to Jonah. He became self-forgetful. He gave himself up for those people. He said, you throw me out. And by the way, Jonah didn't know there was a fish down there waiting for him. I believe Jonah's ready to give his life. He said, you throw me overboard, and God will take away this storm. The greatest lesson that we can take from the sailors that I love to see is people can change. Is that a blessing? We forget that sometimes, don't we? But people can change. How many times have we thought, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a child, uh, maybe it's a, a, a neighbor or a friend or a co-worker, somebody we know, and we look at them and we see them as totally unreachable. Nobody is unreachable. Anybody can change. When we set ourselves aside, when we realize that our mission is greater than our own desires, only then will, be, we, will we be able to focus outward. Then we'll see God do a great work in the lives of others. Let me ask you today, friend, are you on a ship headed the opposite direction of God's will? Don't make him find you. <laughs> it's not as pleasant as when we come and find him. Amen. Are you asleep, dear Christian? 
The Bible says in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Let us renew our focus today. Let us learn the lesson from the sailors. There's problems all around us. Let's not focus on just our own. Let's put our religion to work, for lack of a better term. Let's realize, listen, we have, we have the, I don't have the power to help anybody in and of myself, but I have a word of God here that has tremendous power to change lives. Are you sharing it with somebody? If it's as simple as taking a verse and texting it out to several people a day, uh, that's a great way. Share the word of God. Instead of talking, putting out a picture of your supper online, which nobody cares about, I can assure you, take a picture of a Bible verse and post that. I'm talking, the, the Word of God can make a difference in people's lives. Let's quit focusing on ourselves and focus on our mission. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.